reading is from 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 16. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Let's just pause and pray again. Father, we believe that when your word is proclaimed, your voice is heard. And so we pray that you'd guide me, that my thoughts and words would be in line with your unchanging truth. And we pray for all of us that you would give us hearts and minds that are open to hear and receive your truth and to meet with you in your word. In Christ's name, amen. We're, we are right now studying the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that was written to one of the early churches by the Apostle Paul. And in today's passage, the Apostle addresses once again a problem that he first um, mentioned back in chapter 1. And the problem is that in, that in this ancient church, people were dividing into groups and they were competing with each other and resenting each other and arguing with each other over whose favorite preacher was the best. You'll see that in verse 4, the apostle says this, one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. And Apollos was a famous preacher in the early church. So you'll, you'll see this is the problem. They were taking their eyes off of God, and they were focusing on human leaders. That was what was going on. And in the first four verses of this passage, the apostle, basically what he says to them, he says, guys, when you behave this way, you're acting like babies. 
He says, this is not the way that mature Christians conduct themselves. He says, you're, you're not acting like, verse one, like people who live by the Spirit. But he says, you're acting like people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. So this is the problem that they were dealing with back then. And to kind of give you the structure of this passage that we're looking at today, in verses 1 through 4, the apostle tells his readers that they should not be acting the way that they were, okay? And then in verses 5 through 16, he tells them why, why they shouldn't act this way. And in telling them why, the apostle reminded them of two important, unchanging truths about the church of Jesus Christ. He, he reminds them first who is most important in the church, and then he reminds them what is most important in the church. Okay, so we'll start with who. Let me just ask you guys a question. If you've been around here for a while, you should know this. Who is most important at ACC? Hmm? It's, you know the answer. It's not the pastors. It's not the elders. It's not the deacons. It's not the musicians. It's not whoever it might be that gives the biggest offerings here. You, you know that. The most important person in the church, in any church, is, is the one to whom the church belongs. Amen? The, the most important person is God. And that's, that's the point the apostle's making here. He starts to make this point in verse Five, you know, they're, arg they're arguing over which apostolic leader is the best, Paul or Apollos. And he says in verse five, what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Now, you notice he doesn't say who is Apollos and who is Paul, which is what you would expect when you're talking about people, right? No, he deliberately uses the, the neutral pronoun. What is Paul? What is Apollos? And as if he's, he's asking about an inanimate object. And some scholars would say that it, it's, a, it's a form of speech that would have been very demeaning. You don't talk about people as if they're things. But he, he asks a question about himself that way. What is Paul? As if his personal identity doesn't really matter. As if the only, the only importance that he, he has is the function that he happens to be playing in the church. What is Apollos? What is Paul? And then he answers the question. He says this, only servants. Now the, the word for servant there is a word you would use in the first century for table waiter. You know, you're, you're out to dinner with some friends, you're involved in a conversation. Somebody slips up, fills your water glass, slips away. You don't even notice them. You're like, how did water get into my glass? You didn't even notice. And Paul says, that's the way I want you to think about me and Apollos. You shouldn't even notice us. We're just here to, to wait on the table. What is Paul? What is Apollos? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each his task. In verse 6 and 7, he says, I, I planted the seed. Paul is the, the pastor who had started their church. Apollos watered it. Apollos was a, a pastor who came after Paul had left. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So... Believer in Christ, I, I wonder if 
as you look back on your life of faith, I wonder if, if you can think of any, um, any teachers or preachers or church leaders or Christian authors whose words really, really helped you to grow in your faith. Can you think of anyone like that? I, I can think of people like that. These, these verses would tell us that those people whose ministry impacted you, they were merely instruments that God used. Those people did not make you grow. God did. God the Holy Spirit is the one who makes, he's the one who makes us grow. So you'll notice here, he says, uh, verse nine, we and Apollos are what? We're just co-workers in God's service. And then he says, you are God's field, God's building. So two metaphors for the church, a field and a building. What do they have in common? They both belong to God. The field is God's field. The building is God's, God's building. In other words, the, the owner of the church is God. Uh, my, my wife and I live in a, a large complex of apartment buildings down on the southern edge of, of Astoria. And when we moved into those apartments, um, I, I happened to meet a man, doesn't even live around here, he lives out in Long Island, but I, I met this guy about that time. When he heard that I was moving into those apartments, he told me that back in the 1950s, his grandfather was one of the construction workers that helped make those buildings. Interesting fact, right? Well, you know what? We've lived, we've lived in these apartments for over 10 years now, and no one has ever mentioned that man's grandfather to me. None of my neighbors said, so, you know, you remember that Italian bricklayer back in the 50s? Oh, that guy was great. You see that row of bricks right there? No one ever mentions him. There's no plaque in his honor. There are no days of remembrance. He's just, and I'm not knocking the work that he and, and, and his colleagues did, but I'm just saying they don't even expect to be remembered. Right? And Paul is saying, I want you to know how to think about an apostle like Paul or a great preacher like Paul. He says, you know what? We're just bricklayers. Forget us. Don't focus on us. We're just, we're just co-workers in God's service. But you are God's building. Right? Now, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I think we should be very grateful to God for people that he uses in our, in our lives to, to bring us his word, to, to guide us in his paths. I think we should thank God for the people through whom he builds the church. But we should, listen, we should never, ever forget that the church, the community of believers, it belongs to God. It's God's building, amen? Now he, remer he returns to that thought in verse 16. He says, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple. You're not Paul's temple. You're not Apollos' temple. You're God's temple. And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. So you see what he's doing here in various ways. He's just reminding his readers of who's most important in the church. That God is. You could put it this way. He is reminding them of the all-surpassing significance of God. And I don't know if you'll agree with this, but I, I think it's good to be reminded of that from time to time. Don't you, don't you think? You know, we, we come to church on a, on a Sunday morning, and as we're walking through the door, what are we thinking? 
We're thinking, well, you know, I hope the music is good today. I hope the sermon doesn't bore me as much as the one did last week. I hope, you know, I, I hope I get to see some of my friends here. And listen, it's, it's not that those things are unimportant. It's just that they're not all important. What is, guys, what is all important is that when we come to worship God as a community of, of believers, listen, we are coming to meet with God the living God, God's spirit dwells among us. The one we just sang about, he spoke, he spoke a hundred billion galaxies into existence. We're in his presence right now. God is here. You know, the author of, of the um, epistle to the Hebrews, writing to uh, Jewish believers 2,000 years ago. Here's what he wanted to bring to mind for them when they're gathering as a community of, 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 of Christians in the name of Jesus. Here's what he said they should think of. He says, you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God. Now, if you are familiar with Scripture, and I'm trusting that many of you are, you, you know that when we talk about we have come into the presence of God, that is a frightening thought. Raises, it raises a big question. How, how can sinful, broken, self-absorbed people like us come into the presence of a holy God and not be destroyed by his judgment. Are you familiar with that story from Leviticus chapter 10? There were these two men, Nadab and Abihu, and one day they just decided to kind of wander into the, the tabernacle, into the presence of God uninvited, right? And, and the Nadab and Abihu, they were both priests. In fact, they were both sons of the high priest. You would think if there's anyone that would be welcome in God's presence, it would be guys like that. And they just wandered into the presence of God. And if you know the story, it did not go well for them. They were destroyed by the, uh, just the utter holiness of the one in whose presence they stood. So how can people like us meet with the living God? Well, I, do you, you know the good news, right? I hope you do. Can I remind you of it again? Here's the good news. God, the holy God, the creator of the whole universe, he sent his son, the righteous one, to die on the cross in the place of, listen, anyone and everyone who trusts in him, receiving, receiving there on the cross, receiving in his own body and his own soul, Every last drop of judgment we ever deserved. So if you're trusting in Christ, all the judgment of God, listen, it's gone. Isn't that good news? It's gone. Jesus took it. And so now when we come, listen, we come to the Father in the name of the Son, in the presence of the Spirit, and we are welcomed here. Amen. We're, we, we don't, as Christians, trusting in Jesus, even if you feel like, oh, man, I feel kind of bummed out about my last week as a Christian, was up and down and all over. I don't even know where I am today, but I'm trusting Jesus. When you come into the presence of God, you are not coming before an angry God. 
You are coming because of Christ. You are coming into the presence of a loving Father who welcomes you with arms open wide. And that is amazing. Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 18 says, through Jesus we, yeah, we, we have access to the Father by the one Spirit. So it's, it's remarkable that, to be part of a church, a community of redeemed people, isn't it? We, we, as, as the church, we're in the presence of this Holy One. But the point the Apostle's making here is, listen, guys, the church belongs to God. It's, it's God's temple, God's building, God's field, right? And so the most important person in any church is the living God. So that's who's most important in the church. Now, secondly, the Apostle will tell them what's most important in the church. And if you look at, starting at verse 10, uh, all right, 10 through 13, he, he, he describes his work as an apostle and, and the work of Apollos as a church leader. And he describes it this way. He says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So it's pretty clear what he's saying. He's saying in any church, in any ministry, there, there, are, there are certain things that might be done that will have eternal significance. They will stand on, on the day of judgment. They, they, they will, they will just, just as gold or silver, I'm, I understand that if you put gold or silver in fire, they do not burn up. In fact, you put gold in fire, it just comes out purer than it was before, right? And so he's saying that in, in any church or ministry, there are things that can be done uh, as a community that will just bring glory to God for the rest of forever. They, they're of lasting significance. And yet, he says, there are other things that might be done that will react on Judgment Day the way that um, a bunch of straw or hay would react to an open flame. They'll just be consumed. They won't last beyond that. So here's his point. There are some things that might be done in the church that are very, very lastingly important. And there are other things that might be done in the church that really don't matter at all. And, and the question that I always ask when I read this is, what, what are those things? What are the important things? What's the gold, silver, precious stones? What's the wood, hay, and stubble? He, and you notice, he never tells us, does he? He just kind of leaves us to think about this metaphor. But he does give us a clue as to what he's talking about. He says that the quality of the work that is done in any ministry or any church, he says very often the quality of the work will not be apparent until judgment day. Verse 13, he says, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, the day of the Lord will bring it to light. So, so whatever it is that Paul meant by gold, silver, precious stones, what, in other words, whatever he considered to be lastingly important in a church, it's probably not those things that come to mind when we think about a great ministry somewhere. Why? Why? Because Paul says 
I'm talking about things that you will not recognize until judgment day, right? So um, gold, silver, precious stones, things that are important in the church. He's probably not talking about large buildings. He's probably not talking about big budgets. He's probably not talking about huge crowds or great music or famous preachers. It's not that those things are bad, but you can see those things right now. You don't need to wait till judgment day to see those things. So when he talks about that which is lastingly important in the church, he's probably talking about things that you need to look a little bit closer to see, right? Things like what? Well, I, I, I would suggest, would this be gold, silver, precious stones? I, I, I would say something like faithfulness to Scripture in the teaching of the church. Would you agree with that? Or, or, or things like genuine love shared among the members of that church. What do I mean by genuine love? I would say this. Two marks of genuine love are, are these two things. A willingness to serve and a readiness to forgive. When those two things are there, that love is real. Right? So I think Paul would list that as one of those things that last in, in, in the life of a church. Perhaps he would add a willingness to endure hardship or even persecution for the sake of Jesus. There, there are churches right now in parts of the world that, that are just being, being squeezed or oppressed by, by the culture around them that is opposed to Christ or, or in, under the thumb of some oppressive government, and yet they're standing for Jesus. And I think, you know, God looks on those churches and he says, gold, that's gold right there. You see how they don't quit? Perhaps we could add to the list of, of these gold, silver, precious stones, a, a passionate concern. Do we have this? A passionate concern for the state of those who are spiritually lost. Like we just care about people that need Jesus. Or a passionate concern for the needs of those who are impoverished or marginalized by our society. I, I think you would see that in a church that sparkles in the eyes of God. And then one, one final thing I'll add to the list. I'm sure the apostle would not leave this off. What's gold? What's silver? What is a diamond in the eyes of God in a church? I would say it's this. When God's people pursue holiness in their life with everything they've got, they say, I want my life, even the secret parts of my heart, to bring honor to God. So I, I think that, um, in, I just submit to you, in any church, any ministry where these things are present and perhaps increasing, even if, if it's just a house church, even if it's just a little humble storefront congregation, I think God looks at that church and he says, oh man, pure gold. Amen? And and any church where those things are lacking, even if it's a famous cathedral, even if it's, if it's you know, a cutting-edge megachurch, if, if things like faithfulness to Scripture and love for each other and service of, of, of God's mission and, and a pursuit of holiness, if those are lacking, I think God just says, eh, a bunch of hay, a pile of straw, right? So... This is the point of the message here. The, these people, are, they're, they're, they're losing their focus. They're all wrapped up in arguments that don't matter. They're focusing on human leaders. But by, by the way, you know what happens when you focus on human leaders, right? Um, you're setting yourself up for great disappointment. 
Would you agree with that? I wonder if you've ever known anyone who was following Christ by faith and then some priest or some pastor or some great preacher, you know, had some kind of scandal in their life and then they just fall away from Jesus. That, that happens when we're not focused on Christ. We're focused on something else. And so Paul says to these ancient believers, these brothers and sisters of ours who lived so long ago, who are struggling with this, guys, he just says, guys, can I remind you, Who's most important in your church? God is. And can I remind you what's most important in your church? That which you do that brings glory to God. Now, a question you should ask whenever you study the epistles is, what, what does this have to do with us? Because you know, when, we, when you study the epistles, you are reading someone else's mail, right? This, was, this is for... This, the words of 1 Corinthians, they are written for us, but they were not written to us, right? They were written, these words were written for a congregation of Christians. If we met them, we wouldn't know what to think about them. They lived almost 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world. They spoke a language most of us don't know, living in a culture that's very different than ours, right? So what does it have to do with us? Well, I, you know, guys, God included these words in the canon of Scripture for a reason, we need this, right? And let me suggest a few ways that this passage might help us. I think that a passage like this gives us some suggestions for how we ought to be praying for our church. Do you pray for our church? Do you? We, we ought to be praying for ACC that God will be doing something among us as a, as a community that will last for all eternity, Right? That, that we will be one of those churches whereas together we're laying the bricks of this, if we could use that metaphor, it will be gold, it will be silver, it will be lasting. So how to pray for our church? Se second thought, I think this passage gives us some insight for how to think about our approach to worship. When we come to worship, guys, do you think about it this way? We are coming into the presence of the living God to meet with him, to hear his word, to gather at his table, to receive his grace. Just, we ought to tremble when we worship. And then, and then one final thought. I think a passage like this should just fill us with joy. Let me, let me explain why. Um, those old timers years ago who wrote the... Uh, the Westminster Catechism. They started with this first question, and their question was, what is the chief end of man? Today, here's the way we'd say it. What is the primary purpose of a human being? What a good question. Why are you here? Why did God create you? What is the purpose of your existence? To get a good job and earn some money and pay your rent and then die someday? To be a consumer whose, whose purchases fuel the economy? To get as many friends and likes as you can on, on Instagram. Is that why you're here? No. Listen to me. You were created in the image of the living, eternal God and the reason you exist. Here's the answer they gave. What is the, pr the primary purpose of a human being? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Do you realize you were created to know God and, and, and to walk in his presence and to receive his grace. And this verse is telling us that when we come before this holy one, this God trusting in Jesus, 
even though we should be turned away at the door, right? We are welcomed. He says, my children, come. My children, come. Feast at my table. You are home. And that makes me happy. That gives me joy. I hope it does that for you as well. Amen. Can you pray with me?